0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please
1: move in. please move and play oh, the I'm not going to that I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on man Bang okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch your hair. Good checking, guys. And good
0: play. Oh, let's see. Where's my pen? I think I got my notepad over here. Uh, okay, and there's the timer. I'm ready to Oh, I didn't realize that the microphone was on. <laughs> this is the Scouting the Rest <laughs> podcast. He's Josh, wow. I'm Todd. Isn't that why isn't that the appropriate way oh, to start?
1: Wow, man. We're just going to commercial, forget it.
0: (laughs) Guess what we're going to talk about on this week's edition. We will mention a couple of other stories that have made news, but not nearly to the level of the entirety of the officials and Tim Peel and comments on a mic over the last little while. I, I think that's pretty much going to be the top story. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, it's been a huge topic of conversation, understandably so, given the implications and the obvious effect that it's having around the hockey world especially as it applies to officials
0: we're going to look at this from a number of different aspects i've got an awful lot of questions josh is probably going to attempt to answer most if not all of them and we'll look for your thoughts and opinions as well don't forget you should be following us on our social media channels To hit up Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs, of course, on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, you're a follower on ScoutingtheRefs.com. To get me, Todd, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and on Instagram. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And there's special savings for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, for your order. You receive 20% off and you receive free shipping. Now, Josh, it's been several weeks since we've been able to make use of these great products that the folks at Manscaped shipped to us. We've told you about the great trimming tool that's super sharp, yet super safe. Of course, the task light that's built in for extra visibility and safety, which is what you want in close quarters. But there's so many other great products as well. The crop preserver, the crop reviver. I've also enjoyed the underwear. I don't know about you, but I find it super comfy.
1: Yeah, it's that uh, that nice blend of comfort and the right material to help keep things dry. Which, if you are conditioning and using the crop preserver, there, you know, you're you're already making sure that the undercarriage is presentable and taken care of, and it's the perfect complement to help make sure that you know throughout the day you're you're feeling comfortable, you're feeling dry, you're you're feeling like like you're properly maintained. Exactly, that's
0: very good. It's comfortable. I like things to fit. Comfortable but snugly when I'm sitting here at my desk for long stretches, you know. I I guess in the words of Cosmo Kramer, my boys need a house. And this one provides a <laughs> solid foundation for what you're looking for. There's 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 some that, that have no structural integrity, but these do.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You want to make sure it's comfortable and supportive, you know, like a, like your partner might be comfortable and supportive. But very good. you Also, when you mention the house, I, I I again say that, you know, if you're looking at your property and you want to make sure that your property values are good and you want to get, you know, that curb appeal going. Sometimes your your trees and your house look a little bit better when the landscape is properly groomed. You know, you you might not realize how how nice the house looks or, or how solid that tree is until you do some work on the general landscaping. Get all the great
0: products from Manscaped, whether it's the underwear, it's the trimmer, of course, which is sensational, and use our code to save more. Go to manscaped.com, use the promo code REFS, you get 20% off, plus you get free shipping. On this week's show, is it a penalty? Isn't it a penalty? We've got some t- discussion about a few other topics, but the big topic, of course, is the game that took place earlier this week between the Detroit Red Wings and the Nashville Predators with Tim Peel as one of the referees and the comments that were heard that weren't supposed to be heard.
1: 12.42 to much. go in the second. I, I there was it wasn't much, but I
0: wanted to get a yeah, penalty against Nashville early in the...
1: Yeah, that was, it was a big moment. It was an unfortunate moment. One of those that was broadcast to the entire viewing audience and then subsequently shared on social media. So hard to avoid what happened there. An unfortunate moment from an officiating and league standpoint. It's a conversation that you're having there that you think is private and staying on the ice and not so in this case.
0: No, and those comments were immediately commented on by the league as saying, we're investigating the situation. And then it was very quickly announced the following morning that Tim Peel would no longer be refereeing hockey games in the National Hockey League. Peel was set to retire later on this year. He was going to work his final game in St. Louis after more than 20 years in the league, nearly 1,400 NHL regular season games, numerous Stanley Cup playoff series, an Olympic games, and this all kind of exploded just at once. And it's given me cause to ask a number of questions. Josh, first of all, give me your first and immediate reaction when you heard about the situation and then when you heard about the subsequent punishment.
1: Well, anytime you've got your mic on unexpectedly, you might be tipping people off to some of those private conversations, like I mentioned. And there's a lot that goes on on the ice between players and officials or coaches and officials that maybe isn't best for public consumption. So certainly those types of interactions are something that you're not expecting to get out there. But when the content of that interaction is, is something like this, that seems initially somewhat incendiary that I'm looking for a penalty or I'm trying to make a penalty call. Certainly that gives the implication that there's more here. We have certainly talked about makeup calls and things like that, but the implication is that there's something else going on here. So uh, my first instinct was, oh gosh, this is terrible. I didn't expect the punishment that was coming down. As you mentioned, Peel was retiring at the end of the year. I thought he might be sitting for a couple games, but I didn't expect them to pull him from the officiating roster for the rest of the season. So really unfortunate. Unfortunate for him, unfortunate for the league, but you know, for a guy who has spent quite a career in stripes I think it's a shame to have lost that opportunity. He already lost some some special games due to his injury last year that kept him out of things, and then he gets his final NHL game in St. Louis, his hometown, current hometown, taken away from him. So uh, just a brutal way to go out. I, I feel terrible for the guy.
0: It does feel bad from all perspectives. Certainly, this is not something that, that Tim Peel would want to do or had any intention to do. I'm either condoning his statements or his actions, but this this entire situation puzzles me from a number of different aspects as soon as the the clip came out i was texting you that night and it's just oh you you just know that this is going to be a bad situation but it puzzles me from a number of different areas because i'm intrigued by first of all we're going to investigate this and i don't know what the scope of the investigation is by the way, a lot of these questions I'm going to ask, we are never going to get answers to. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: And, okay. And, and I did share that, though, Todd, as far as the investigation goes. That was my first question. Are they, are they investigating what Peel said? Or are yep. they investigating how and why that microphone was turned on at that moment? Because uh, for all I knew at that point, the league may have had some concerns, but their biggest thing could be, hey, we've got a guy in the broadcast booth who's hitting the wrong buttons in there, and, and that's what we're investigating. So yeah, that was, that was the first question that came to mind for me.
0: Yeah, that's one of the ones that I'm going to get to in a little bit. But the league pains itself to look at all possible angles of every situation before making any sort of ruling. Yet they gunned Tim Peel less than 12 hours after this starts to percolate. Were the other refs on duty consulted? Was the referees' union brought into this discussion? What role did they play? These are the things that I am very curious about. And again, I know we will never get answers to, though, because I, th- I. But I think these are all valid points. Where Where did this investigation lead? What type of information was was discerned from the the discussions that took place?
1: That's. Those are all great questions. I don't know if you want to tackle them one at a time here, Todd, or you want to sure. Just, all right, let's go for it.
0: Okay, so. What other investigation took place? Were the other referees in, on duty conducted? They they must have been consulted because Kelly Sutherland was also working the game, and those two, of course, would have had communication through the game. So I'm sure there was a conversation that took place, but I don't know about whether the, whether or not there was a discussion with the union at all.
1: Well, it, it's it's interesting. It occurred to me too. You know, do Peel and Sutherland even know that this conversation was broadcast during intermission? Did they find out after the game? Did they right. did anybody tip them off in between periods? So. That was of interest to me, but certainly uh, your earlier point that we're not going to find out answers with something coming out from an officiating standpoint, mum's going to be the word from the officials from here on out. And and understandably so, the league's going to look to deflect focus on the officials. So I don't expect that we'd hear anything based on past conversations. I don't know necessarily that they would need to engage them from the league standpoint given the damning evidence of what went out on the broadcast so i I think that may be their focus and certainly they'd want the opinion of whoever was in that conversation which presumably was sutherland but were they really factoring in the other officials opinions and if we are thinking that these types of things around game management happen would it be all that surprising to any of them
0: probably not but again, it's just we don't know exactly what took place. And this is why more questions will arise. And of course, which, which leads me to the wording of the statement that was issued. There was no mention that Tim Peeble is retired. There was no mention that he is suspended. He is off the schedule. He will not be working, is the phrase used they did not fire him and he according to Bob McKenzie of TSN will continue to be paid and I will tell you why because if you fire him that will invite a lawsuit of epic proportions and there is no way the league wants to be involved with that and and that's not to mention the other domino effects that would continue.
1: Well certainly the the union would take incident with that for sure and work with the league on uh, on pushing back. So, yeah, I, I noted that as well. And I do take issue with some of the media outlets who are saying that he was fired because he's just been effectively benched through his retirement, which is unfortunate, but certainly less drastic, I'd say, than, than if they did actually come right out and fire him. And then if the league wants to defend that they did fire him and fight the union on that, which which certainly would be quite a battle, well, then they have to justify that the league has strictly driven officials not to manage games or not to try to balance calls or, or look for things, which maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but is that something that they really want to discuss in a courtroom?
0: This kind of reminds me of the phrase, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. And that's, that's sort of what I think is happening here is that we don't want to say too much about how the process works, how the grading of officials works, what kind of feedback goes back and forth between supervisors and officials and word from the top down and management structure of the league in terms of directives of how we want the game to look and appear and be called. And the referees and their officiating have to facilitate that. So we we don't want to talk about it, but we don't want to necessarily condone it either.
1: It, it just it puts everybody in a difficult spot to try to get any explanation. So I think from the league standpoint, Here's a guy who's retiring. We're going to take action and sideline him for the remainder of his career so it shows that we said this was unacceptable without actually providing an explanation on which part was unacceptable or what it was that that the league is standing up for in their decision. Really just, hey, that was, that was a bad thing. This guy's gone. But I, I don't know that they've actually done anything to fix any underlying issues or reassure anybody that game management or balancing calls or those types of things are not happening anywhere else in the league.
0: This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped, and there's special savings for you by using the code REFS, R-E-F-S. Use the code REFS on your order, receive 20% off, plus you will get free shipping as well. He's Josh, I'm Todd. We're talking about, mm, yeah, kind of the big story of the week, and that Tim Peel is no longer scheduled to work games for the National Hockey League, and he will retire as scheduled at the end of the season. This was all done very quickly by the league. As we mentioned, it was a, a, a brief and swift investigation and imposed punishment. And the league is absolutely doing this because they want this new story to go away. They want it to be done in 24 to 48 hours. And the quicker they deal with it, I think I used the phrase killing a mosquito with a sledgehammer (laughs) to you, Josh, is, is that this way it gets out of the way, everybody has their blast for a day or two about it, and then we move on to something else. They want to move it through the news cycle as quickly as possible, which is why they issued their statement and the effects are being felt now throughout the league.
1: And that's par for the course. We've seen that in the past with officiating issues when the league has uh, fessed up or taken blame for either a missed call or, or something where they're apologizing to a team for something that happened in a playoff game. They put it out there, it, it hits the media, and then we're moving on from it. I think really there's there's not much more, there's nothing more that I expect that, that will be said or commented on by the NHL at this point.
0: No, because that's not the, the PR strategy. The other part about this whole thing is that it was Colin Campbell, the vice president of something for the National Hockey League, who was... That's
1: his official title.
0: uh, Yeah, who was attributed this statement. And they trot out the phrase, integrity of the game, when it's convenient. But there isn't enough actual transparency in how the system operates. And wouldn't that be the logical first step in having an untouchable level of honor? It would to me.
1: Well, absolutely. A transparency buys you a whole lot of credit with your fans, with your players, with your coaches, and, and that applies to everything. I mean, we still joke about the player safety wheel of justice that, that yeah. fans always bring up, but they have taken strides to try to provide explanations for calls or the occasional non-suspension to to pull back the curtain a little bit there. And it's something that they can continue to work on, but we've seen strides in that direction. And I, I think from an officiating standpoint, there's plenty room to grow there where providing some background on controversial calls or decisions or heck a pool reporter being able to ask a referee a question or take a statement after a game so i think that kind of transparency would help and then even with this just if you want integrity you need to to show and stop hiding what's going on or, or obscuring things or making mm-hmm. that mystery black box or wherever the sausage is made and and let us know how things come together and i, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity there to do it at the officiating level, and then certainly with with incidents like this at, at Campbell's level, I think a little more transparency up the line would have helped as well.
0: Right. I don't think that referees or linesmen need to answer questions after every game through the regular season, through the playoffs and the like. But if there is a a circumstance in a game, it might be worthwhile to issue a statement about a particular situation. It might be worthwhile to ask a question or two and distribute the answer to everyone. But the other part of this is that NHL VP Colin Campbell, the, the longtime employee who also, again, saying that it is important for the integrity of the game that this action take place... He's the one who was implicated through his own emails questioning how games were called, especially those involving his own son who was playing in the NHL at the time. We should also remember that the emails that Colin Campbell sent attempting to rid the league of former NHL referee Dean Warren. I'm not a religious person and I rarely quote scripture, but let him who is without sin cast the first stone.
1: Well we've, we saw plenty of stones in those emails, Todd so there's there's there was a whole lot of stones being thrown across the board and and I think it's it's difficult when you've got a guy in this position talking about the integrity of the game that we can go back what 10, 15 years and thanks to the emails that, that did come out mm-hmm. question integrity there as well.
0: And 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 this is where it just doesn't quite balance out for, for me in terms of what's being done, how actions are taking place. And you mentioned earlier, and this is a, a really valid point that you brought up, how did the unplanned audio get on the Pred's television broadcast? And what are the implications? For that production company, for the employees going forward, how is that going to change and impact what we hear? So so often, the referees' microphones don't work, and in this <laughs> case, they worked when they weren't supposed to.
1: Right. It it, it really wasn't even their mics, apparently, that, that worked, which was part of the issue. So what was mm-hmm. reported was that this wasn't the belt pack microphone that the officials used to announce calls, but the microphone near the glass which the audio technician in the truck was testing out to check their volume levels, thinking that the broadcast had already gone to commercial. So not the case, obviously. We were still very much live and still on the air. But something that I would imagine happens somewhat frequently or from time to time, but it just so happened that that picked up the official in the right place at the wrong time, having (laughs) the very wrong conversation at that moment. So it it, it, just—it was— Purely by chance, but the timing could not have been worse.
0: Just as an aside, this is why those mic'd up features that we hear on games are usually from the period before or those compilations that are done for the Winter Classic or something like that come out about four days after the fact. There is is time to remove this audio (laughs) that shouldn't be played.
1: And there's plenty of things from a mic'd up standpoint, players, coaches, officials that I'm sure the league doesn't necessarily want to share out there. You know, for anyone who's been on the ice, especially at a high level or a competitive level, the language and content can be somewhat questionable. And, you know, certainly you don't want to present that. But even some of the discussions that take place where some things just stay on the ice and yes, it it does have to be carefully curated and monitored before it gets out there, which this obviously was not.
0: Exactly. The other point in this discussion, of course, is worthy of exploring. The discussion of game management, evening up calls, that sort of thing. And there are those that, of course, are making the loud cry for, well, if they just call the rule book exactly as written, we'd fix all these problems. A few thoughts on that. First off. Remember when the league started the campaign to actually call more obstruction penalties and we had about 6 or 7 or 8 in some games per team called right after the lockout? Do you remember all the screaming that took place about all the penalties that were called? That's what you'd get
1: for a while. Yep. You absolutely would. And players would adjust and coaches would adjust. It it would be it would be ugly, but at some point they'd learn it just how much pain, how much penalty pain would we go through watching 5 on 3s? five-on-fours, three-on-three mm-hmm. hockey as players got used to what the standard would be. And then the challenge is holding that standard and being consistent with it. But yeah, it it would be a bumpy ride.
0: It it would, it, because every every attempt at stricter enforcement meets with amazing resistance and whining from players, from coaches, from fans as much as anything. And that's, that's the difficult part. You know, a penalty in the preseason should be a penalty in the third period of Stanley Cup final. Y- you can say that, but that's not the reality of what happens. And you're, you're never going to achieve that level of consistency simply because you have so many games and so many different people operating them and in so many different circumstances.
1: And that's part of what the NHL looks to do by shuffling the officials around, which obviously it's been a a bit different this year, but by having different crews every night that you you hope to balance that out and get everybody on the same standard with their constant communications and emailing out of game clips to, to try to maintain what the standard is for certain calls. But ideally you know you want that same standard because what happens in playoff overtime is when the whistles go in the pockets but that puck over glass for delay of game still gets called well now you've got an imbalance where all of a sudden that becomes the most called penalty on the books in the playoffs because right. it's a mandatory call and you you do need to maintain that and if they would do that and coaches would understand that Hey, in the first period, it's a penalty in overtime. It's a penalty. It should be not let them play, not let them get away with murder out there. But to maintain that fair balance, it's a hard thing. It's a challenge, like you mentioned, Todd, and it's all human nature. But I think that really needs to be the goal.
0: Yeah, game management has always been part of the job and as you mentioned, the rule book is full of situations for interpretation and judgment. I might see something as, yes, that's a that is a, a hooking or restraining penalty. Others may not see it as severely. So that's where we get into gray areas if you will.
1: You do, and there are some where I think the standard for interpretation might vary slightly, but the underlying principle is the same, where if you've got a change of possession, if you've got a scoring chance denied, those types of things would push you more towards the penalty side than the gray area side. And some might call it stricter. Some might call it a little bit looser there. But I think that's where you see it escalate towards the penalty. And as long as we're calling it the same way with both teams over the course of the game i think most coaches and players don't have an issue you know you want that standard to be as close as it is from game to game throughout the season but you've certainly wanted to apply to both teams and that's for the call type itself and that's explaining why one might be a penalty and one might not be but it's not looking for a reason to call a penalty on one team or the other just because you're starting to rack up power plays on one side of the ledger
0: Sure, absolutely. But the next game called by the rule book exactly will be the first game called exactly by the rule book. <laughs> exactly. I, I think here's the here's the one thing that kind of gets to me in all of this though the way this has all gone down and the way it's all handled. Shouldn't an effective working relationship with the National Hockey League officials be the first step moving forward? Right now, the relationship is is kind of one of convenience and also adversary, which is probably not the best. If the league is truly interested. In being transparent, without reproach, in how the game is played, how it's perceived and viewed by fans, and by those with a financial stake in the action, because gambling is the big money maker that is coming, and that is partly why I think this has been dealt with so severely and so quickly, being at the forefront to provide the best tools, the best training, and support to the officials to make every gameplay proceed smoothly and without even a sniff of impropriety should be the goal of everyone.
1: Well, once once you mention gambling, I think that's, that's where it has to be beyond reproach and everything has to be above the line and clearly spelled out. And I think we go back to your earlier point, Todd, on transparency. If you want things to be called fairly, we need to make sure we know what the standard is. We need to be transparent on that standard so that no one can question whether things are are not being done properly or whether there's some bias going on or something like that. I think only through data and information to get that level of transparency can anybody be comfortable to know what is or isn't going on. And and that's going to take some effort from the league. And it's not in not miking up refs. It's in pulling back the curtain a little bit and, and making sure that A, there's transparency there and that B, they can show that we're trying and working towards the same standard for everything so that that becomes a non-issue.
0: I got a couple of other quick little things that I want to talk about from situations that occurred in the past week, but what's your gut tell you will be the result of this moving forward? Will there be substantial change? Will anything be different or will we just move past it in a few days?
1: I don't think we'll hear anything directly coming out of this. I think this will be the end of it for the season. We'll move into the playoffs. I think there may be an opportunity during the postseason, separate, of course, not, not coming back to this, but for the officials and the league to maybe find some opportunities to tighten things up or to improve some consistency there. And I'm not talking at the officials level so much as expectations from Colin Campbell, hockey ops at the league's level of how things should be called. So hopefully some of that can get ironed out and and the officials can be confident in calling it as they trust they should do by the book and based on their judgment.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I think you said the right word, opportunity. I think there is an opportunity for improvement here. I just hope that it's capitalized on over the summer months. I'm not sure that it will be. I'm skeptical, but I at least hope that it will will happen. Okay, a couple of things to get into over, over well, the last weekend. The Blues, San Jose Sharks, and uh, San Jose head coach Bob Bugner and everyone else in the staff, and of course, Shark fans were ticked off at a call in the third period, against Patrick Marlowe, who mostly plays the wing now, but came in to take a draw after Tomasz Hurdle was kicked out of the circle. Puck was dropped, and he was immediately signaled for a face-off infraction. Four minutes into the third, it's a 2-2 tie. The Blues score on the power play, and that's what got the Sharks fuming. They used such hockey standard cliches as, oh, he's a legend, he's going to pass Gordie Howe from most games played. How do you make that call on him? How do you make that call at this point in the game? I, I really don't understand it. First off, I don't care what time in the game it is, it is a penalty. And if you're watching any game and a player is kicked out of the face-off circle, the linesman on duty dropping the puck makes a point of telling the player coming in, hey, don't screw up, don't cause an infraction because I have to call a penalty on you. And I don't know if Marlowe ignored it or carried on, but it was worthy of a penalty.
1: It was. And for anybody who wants it called by the book, this was clearly by the book on a face-off violation. And when you've got two face-off violations during the same draw, it's a bench minor penalty. I I don't know how they could be more clear. If there's some concern over what it was, I mean, it did look like Marlowe. Turned his body. He had to stick down, turning the body first. So he was jumping the gun there, and and it's almost like when you're serving in tennis, you know, you 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 want to avoid that double fault, so you want to make sure you're playing it safe the second time, and you get it in the box. Well. Like you said, Todd, you, you got to play it safe when you're the second guy coming in after the first guy gets tossed to avoid that. And it was it was called properly. It's frustrating, but it should be a penalty no matter when it happens, no matter who the guy is, because we, we don't want reputational penalties and we don't want players getting a pass for reputational reasons either.
0: Absolutely right. And that is the best analogy or comparison. It's it's like tennis, and tennis serving, double fault and you result in the penalty. That's a good one. I, I like that. Okay, one other one. This one also involves the Sharks. And forward Curtis Gabriel, who is making a name for himself and also now a little lighter in the wallet, fined over $3,000. Bob Bugner got fined as well because of an altercation that that happened during the pregame. The Sharks were also assessed a conditional $25,000 fine as the two teams skated in warm-up on Monday night's game. Gabriel went hunting and he cross-checked LA Kings defenseman, Curtis McDermott. The two appeared to exchange words. They returned to their respective sides of the ice and they fought midway through the first period. Um, Gabriel has not been shy about engaging opponents pregame and I think the league finally said, "You know what? We've had enough of this nonsense."
1: Well, yeah, it's it's tough because they're out there by themselves. The players are out there by themselves. The officials are are back in the room. So nobody's out there to keep tabs on what's going on and they do take it seriously of staying on your own side of the center ice line. So, you know, we've we've seen teams doing some uh, some patrolling there or making a show of it to to try to intimidate the opponents, but when you've got two guys actually having physical contact and good for McDermott for just skating away and and not engaging there, but you can't have that happen. And we, we see it try to get in in guys heads or to try to spark something, which obviously it did. It sparked the fight, but the thing that the the league is not going to allow this and it's a slam dunk for a fine. I I get that they're not going to do anything more than that, but once again, non-hockey play, nothing to do with the actual game. You got to hit them with the fine, whether it's this or some of the other nonsense that maybe doesn't always get a fine. But that this one was automatic.
0: It kind of makes you think back to, as some would refer, the good old days of the Habs and yes. Flyers <laughs> in 1987 and the pregame craziness that occurred. You know what? There's a there's it seems to me like this may be a simple way to solve this thing. Because of COVID, we've got so many of these clear plexiglass barriers <laughs> around now. Maybe we just put those up across the red line.
1: So, yeah, we, we took down some of the netting and the glass behind the benches, and we're just going to put it at center ice right. until opening face-off. <laughs> there you great.
0: go. There's your problem solved. You stay on your side, I'll stay on mine. Good yeah. fences, make good neighbors.
1: Oh, there you go. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd want to be Curtis Gabriel's neighbor. I think things could take a turn for the worse, but just... <laughs> Just imagine, Todd, back in those those Habs flyers brawl of, of how much those fines would have accrued for that one. <laughs> just,
0: oh my it's... goodness. I am I'm, I'm not sure there's enough zeros there. But let's <laughs> let's hope that we've moved past that and that Curtis Gabriel also sees the uh, sees that maybe this is something he should avoid in the future.
1: The Scouting the Rex podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get twenty percent off and free shipping with code refs at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS, that's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.